You know, if these cells keep building like this, there could be a record outbreak of tornadoes. This is going to be a long day. Welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. Scientists have been studying tornadoes forever, but still nobody knows how a tornado works. We have no idea what is going on inside because nobody's ever been able to take scientific measurements from inside the funnel. The following review will contain spoilers and may contain strong language. We knew how a tornado really worked. We could design an advanced warning system. Aren't there already tornado warnings? Well, the They're not good enough. They're nowhere near good enough. Right now, it's three minutes. If we can get this new information, we can increase warning time to 15 minutes. Give people a chance to get to safety. At least that's what these guys are trying to do. Today, as part of a listener request, we'll be discussing Twister, starring Helen Hunt. We just got the hell out of here because that was definitely there's too many tornadoes back there. Are you kidding? This thing's not over. We've only seen the start of it. Bill Paxton. I was just wondering why, why do you call Billy the extreme? Because Billy is the extreme. <laughs> <laughs> Bill's the most out of control son of a bitch in the game. <laughs> no, I think I came in second. Philip Seymour Hoffman. The suck zone. Point. Basically, it was the twister. Sucks you up. Jamie Gibbs. You know, when you used to tell me that you changed tornadoes. Deep down, I was that was a metaphor. Carrie Alwes. Jonas Miller, he's a night crawler. We all started out in the same lab that Jonas went out and got himself some corporate sponsors. He's in it for the money, not the science. And Lewis Smith. You, you go stop it. you do you've been chasing these things since you were a little kid directed by Jan de Bont are you gonna go for it Joe Joe time for deployment guys let's do it oh man this is the fun part sweetheart Hello and welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. It's the podcaster who always craves sustenance. It's Gally in Glasgow. Oklahoma when the wind <laughs> comes sweeping down the plain. <laughs> it's Patrick from London. A manly handshake ensues. It's Matt in South Korea. Oh, welcome back, gang. And welcome back, listeners. And actually, can I can I make it a special welcome back to the extreme? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Patrick is back. Hey, is, is it, was I too extreme for you to join us on the Jaws drink along, Gunny? You were too extreme, yes. And too extreme for many, many listeners, actually, I believe that. That is only for <laughs> those that can handle their drink. And those that can't, clearly. After all my warning, I tripped up on my own warnings. It was, uh, <laughs> I was hoisted by my own petard, or whatever that saying is. Well, we have another listener request. We do these listener requests when essentially our schedule gets torn up by an absence. Namely, Devlin, who got blown away um, it, because he was chasing the corporate dollar. Um, you can <laughs> probably sense that he is the one in the black SUVs. <laughs> this one. The Yankee dollar. Uh, <laughs> the Yankee dollar, indeed. Bunsen burner. Nice little learner. That's what he's doing. Funnily enough, he is actually... Uh, he's at a, a festival in in London, selling selling some of his own uh, his artwork. Yeah, so I mean, eventually, I think he's gonna. I'm not saying he's gonna leave us, but I get the sense that he's got his one foot's out the door. Are you talking about the merchandise available at 
devlindoesdrawing.com. You absolute corporate kisper. No, I'm course I'm not talking about <laughs> our own rich. No. Uh, let's, let's bring it back in. Let's get back into the suck zone. So today we have a listen request from Tom, who is from Bully Hole Bottom in Monmouth. So- <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> We've got Shitterton and now what? Say it again. Uh, so Tom has sent in the request. He wanted us to do Yanderbont's Twister. Um, and he's from Bully Hole Bottom in Monmouthshire, which is uh, a lovely little part of the world. Are all of our listener requests arse related towns? So yes, we are, we are doing Twister. And uh, I guess I will start with first, first experiences and histories. Matt, start with you. Uh, first experiences and history with Twister. Well, there's this weird thing in that summer of 96. I always think of In The Mix 96, only available at Woolworths. Do you remember that? Um, I do. What a time to be alive. Uh, Having Independence Day as a rival film for me, it sort of created a bit of a duel between them. Uh, And I was always Team Independence Day. And that was the victorious one that took the summer. Uh, It took the number one spot and made a bit more money. Um but I think that rivalry was really unnecessary. I probably had time to see both, but I only saw Independence Day at the pictures. Um, so I think it was about a year later on VHS when I saw it, uh, or later on in, in 96, 97. And I never bought it. I didn't buy it on video or DVD, and I didn't even tape it off the telly. So it's just strange what clicks with you as a kid and what doesn't. So I probably just watched it on telly a few times over the years. And after Phil Hoffman died, I've watched pretty much everything he's done. And uh, I've revisited this one a few times, probably in the last decade. And uh, But it's it's strange. It's sort of a disaster movie that passed me by. I'm quite a big fan of the genre. And uh, yeah, I've never, never chased this particular storm. So uh, hopefully I can get to the bottom of why today uh patrice how about you <laughs> it took me off guard there um i i remember this one quite mainly because of the trailer at the time back then um when i was a kid i think this is around the time where i took a real interest in reading empire magazine and twister it was like an article i remember reading on there and the trailer with the cow sweeping by uh the, the camera and it being this big vfx film yeah, you know, I'd have been about 10 at the time. I do remember, I've still got it. They're talking of Independence Day. I remember that being in the Empire magazine as well and all about the visual effects of that. And, you know, it's a big blockbuster visual effects time in cinema. And I, I do recall that when I was younger, wanting to see these films and that those were kind of things to be wowed by. I've still got like a, um, a 3D postcard of Independence Day from the front of Empire magazine because it was the alien, um, laser beam that hit the empire state building so down and which is cool and twister was something that um i don't remember like the rivalry or i didn't associate it being the same time matt but it was Mm. definitely something i wanted to see at the cinema i don't believe i did i'm trying to remember when i first watched it but i feel like i got it vhs from the video box good old video box in um evington and leicester and watched it that with the family uh family's always been a big fan of friend of the show bill paxton i've definitely seen it since before this week watching it for this but years ago was the main memory watching it younger and yeah good pick gally what about you 
Well, for me, uh, a story probably that has been heard a thousand times of a certain type of a certain generation. So Jurassic Park kind of sets the, sets the fire for kind of big grandiose cinema. And then I was in, I was all in. Obviously from that point on, I go and see everything. And I really did anything that I could see. So I was 11 when this came out and it was a PG so I could go and see it. So I saw Twister at the cinema and I, I, I'm not, there's no hyperbole. I went to the cinema probably about five times. I was so blown away by the visual effects and you, Matt, you're absolutely right. Same year as Independence Day. It was the year when shit just got like, trashed it was also the same year that the 3d puzzle uh came into play or the 3d jigsaw and they had one of the white house i probably Uh. should have saved this for when we do independence day my mum bought me that so i could just smash it but she also bought me other unrelated buildings so i could play twister Uh, so for (laughs) for me my history was i i just got sucked in by this one big time nice pun Oh, thank you very much. Uh, the other reason why I think uh, I, I, I kind of gravitated towards it is it, it it feeds into that whole, like, the floor is lava. Because wind, it's just wind, isn't it? So essentially, if you want really strong wind, you just pretend, don't you? Like, oh, oh. I, I mean, you can't see what I'm doing here, <laughs> listeners. He's flailing his arms, listeners. I'm pretending to hold on to something very tightly. <laughs> What we're witnessing right now, everybody, is Gandhi's audition for Twister 2. Absolutely, absolutely. Although it would be difficult. I mean, look at some of the character actors I'd be up against in the casting. Um, So, yeah, for me, this one uh, holds a special place in my heart just because 96 in particular was the year when I just went and saw everything I could uh, within limits uh, with with regards to the BVSC certification. So, yep. Big, big choice. <laughs> Not seen Twister, though. Genuinely, probably since, I'd say, university when we had too much time and uh, not enough motivation to do stuff. So I would have watched it at university just because I loved Twister. And I haven't seen it since. So revisiting it, we will see if the dial has moved. Your uh, five times at the cinema, Gally, is very interesting. I wondered if... Uh... Patrick has a, a record too. I, I have. Wait, you watched this five times at the cinema? Yes. Well, it, let's not forget as well that it wasn't fifteen quid a go. No. Back then, it was especially for children. It was about two pound fifty to go to the ABC, and I. And then eventually, my mum was like, "Okay, well, we'll 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 spend a little bit more for your fifth viewing." I think we went to the Odeon. But, <laughs> yeah, we used to just go to the ABC. It was two pound fifty for me, so it was like, well. There's two hours that we can just burn. Well, we had a similar thing with Ace Ventura because I think I saw that once. And then whenever it was another kid's birthday party, they all went to see Ace Ventura. So we, <laughs> we saw it four times in the space of it being oh, wow. in cinemas. And then that I didn't ever break that four times record, but I equaled it uh, at university when I saw Punch Drunk Love. Uh, four times I took different people to see it and some of them liked it and some of them didn't. But so four is my record, Patrick. Have you got anything like that? Well, it, it's funny because I've seen Back to the Future four times at the cinema, but that's, you know, cons- not in the same year. Yeah. That, that's Re-releases. over my lifetime because when it comes out, I want, but I say the cinema, you know, I've been on outdoor screenings of it and, and things in the cinema. I actually only think three times is my record. And Titanic. you know what? That was. 
Titanic I've seen twice at the cinema. Uh, I've seen Terminator twice. Uh, I went to see N- um, Infinity War three times. Mm-hmm. Jesus. And Tenet three times. Wow. Yeah. D- just, just to understand it, I understand that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what else did I see? There was something else I definitely, uh, I don't, I don't remember. Oh, um, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, I went to see three times and that right. was like within a month. And one of the Harry Potters, I think, as well. Cool. The other thing as well, listeners, you've got to remember is, you know, don't think that my mum's like some sort of crazy woman that sends a kid five times. <laughs> I wanted to see it. I wanted to see it because, in a way, you had to store it in your memory bank. This is cheap, cheap childcare for you at the time. Well, not just cheap childcare, but this is back in uh, the 90s, certainly in the UK, when the wait for the release for rental. Six months, maybe? Two. Cut longer, longer, Matt. Like Jurassic Park was like a year. Because I really? remember my dad, my dad got it on pirate. Yeah, we had a pirate obviously, Jurassic Park. Obviously, we, we, we don't condone this as well. <laughs> um, but remember, this is, this is also a former drug dealer that you're speaking to. So, you know, <laughs> you've got, you got to remain, got to remember that, that, that was, that, that was what I was also, you know, going through my mind is, well, I love Twister so much that I want to watch it. So I know it back to back. Like I knew aliens back to back because I already had that on VHS. So I could mm. watch that whenever I wanted. That was deprived from us. There's something about the idea now of not holding back that I think you lose something because that whole like you watch it in the cinema and then the, 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 the weight, um, that like anticipation just, they don't, they don't boil the water like they used to. It's like as soon yeah. as they can dump it onto a streaming service, they do. And uh, so, Patrick, would you remind us and the listeners of the plot for Twister? Twenty-seven years after an F5 tornado swept Joe Thornton's father away before her very eyes, Joe is now a meteorologist. She's looking for a new way and better ways to understanding twisters scientifically, and maybe one day be able to give people a better warning system that may save lives. It may have saved her father all those years ago. As the biggest series of storms in 12 years lines up on the horizon, one after the other, Joe readies her team and equipment, but Bill Harding, the extreme, comes to visit her looking to complete their divorce papers so he can pursue his engagement to Dr. Melissa Reeves and remain a whole new person as a weatherman. But Joe distracts Bill and shows him Dorothy, a scientific device with sensors to put inside a tornado that can read its structure and report valuable information which Bill had designed in his past life. He can't believe they made it. More distractions come in the shape of a twister warning. They have major actions, so head off with Dorothy in hot pursuit. But damn, Joe didn't sign the divorce papers, and Bill drives after them too. He discovers that Jonas, an old rival, has his own expedition, thanks to corporate sponsorship, and the son of a bitch has stolen his design and copied Dorothy. Are the days of sniffing the dirt over with this new technology? Despite Joe and Bill bickering, they chase after an F1 twister through a field, crashing into a small bridge in a ditch. They can't prep Dorothy in time, and while seeking shelter, the truck is destroyed. But there's no rest for the wicked, as they use Melissa's truck now and pursue an F2, and yes, it's definitely a sidewinder. Bill is like a human barometer and predicts its movement as they head to intercept amidst the horizontal rain and Twister splits in two water spouts that throw cows about and spins the truck, traumatising Melissa as another missed opportunity passes by. We visit Aunt Meg and her lovely beef and gravy. It's practically a food group. As we learn more about Joe, who still loves Bill, but 
it's not until they scramble to chase an intense F3 that throws Dorothy to the floor that really upsets and frustrates Joe, and we understand that Bill still has feelings for her. That night, they repair their vehicles. Chaos ensues at a drive-in movie screening of The Shining. As Joe signs the divorce papers, an unexpected F4 rips the drive-in apart, injuring several people. Melissa breaks up with Bill, and the F4 continues to Wakita, hitting Art Meg's house. Thankfully, she's okay, but further highlights the lack of a warning system in place. Joe has an idea on how to better get the sensors up in the air, just in time for the reports of an F5 approaching, a record-breaking mile-long twister that Jonas heeds Bill's warnings over and pays the price. Bill and Joe's first attempt with the Dorothy fails. Can they survive this monster and successfully deploy Dorothy finally? But more importantly, can they survive to save their marriage? I mean, it's, it, it really is two vital, vital questions, aren't they? Conflated, some might say. Can we learn about tornadoes and twisters? I don't call them tornadoes. For the longest time, they were twisters to me. Yeah. Can we learn about twisters? Will Bill and Joe get back together? It's, uh, <laughs> it's good stuff, no? It's yeah. good stuff. Um, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go straight in with Yanderbont. He had such a like, Flash the bang career. Uh, he does, he does this successfully. Flash the bang. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you set the flash to bang is sure. I thought he was like flash de bang, like Jan de Bont. Oh, that's not bad. Well, that isn't bad. And considering what, you know, the Dutch listeners probably were rallying against me after, after oh, they switched <laughs> off. Yeah. There'll be no Dutch impressions today. I, I feel like he manages to drum up ex- excitement really well. And every time like they, they set up the search of a new tornado. It was in Patrick's uh, story time there. They cleverly use, or not so cleverly use, F2, F3, F4, <laughs> F5 as a way of yep. just... Numbers. You know, Numbers going up <laughs> incrementally <laughs> to... Uh, and then there's that moment where everyone stops dead when they mention the, the F5 at, at dinner and everyone's like, oh. Yeah. I, I expected the potato to just <laughs> splash on the floor at that point. You know, so just the ball. Phil to stop eating. The way, like, I think he understands music camera work, editing, montage, like every, everything like that, you know, speed and twister and then speed two, which we didn't care for too much. And, and I still go back to Die Hard a lot, like the way Die Hard was shot. It still looks new. There's elements of Die Hard in this. There's one particular, like it feels like it's a helicopter shot that, that follows and swoops in. Yeah. And eventually ends up on Bill Paxton's truck. Yeah. It's nice, isn't it? They do it twice in this. You don't see it anymore. You've literally achieved that shot practically. Yeah. It's very early on though that we have that shot. It's when we're into present day. It's immediately after that, the, the, the prologue, isn't yeah. it? It goes straight in. Now, nowadays, cause I had this in my notes a little bit. Nowadays, the drone has taken over quite a lot and it's a cheaper alternative for these kind of shots and very effective. I'm not knocking a drone shot, but when I get that sweeping at speed, clear helicopter shot over a field and then the second one which is over joe's expedition and then it pans over to jonas's expedition in yeah. the other field driving as well at speed is it's really cinematic and dead um dead engaging and really great to look at just gets you in doesn't it gets you totally involved but it also you know i've talked about like macro to micro like you you're up there up in the clouds and what's our big villain it's weather so, of course, we start with the clouds, then we go down to the people that are going to fight it. But really, it's not quite a fight. It's a fight of understanding. 
and I like that. Um, <laughs> I, I thought I thought it was one of the things that I liked about the movie was that the the screenplay completely and utterly ensures that we don't have audience members going, well, just stop putting yourself in danger, team. So it's an earnest, just cause. Mm. And then Dr. Miller, Jonas, ooh, hiss boo. He's only in it for the money. He's in it for the money and self-aggrandizing, mm. Matt, I think. I think yeah. he, he obviously, he hasn't got the yin sticks, as Bill says, because Bill can, can drop soil and know. <laughs> and that is something that, like, I, when I was watching it this time, I was like, you know what? I, I know I'm all over the place with no structure because it's weather and weather isn't structured. Clearly, Twister teaches you this. Bill Paxton sells the shit out of being a human barometer <laughs> because it is mental. And I forgot how much they're like, oh, but if he'll do whatever Billy does. And Bill just looks at the, like, looks into the mid distance and goes, let's roll. He knows where it's going to be. It's <laughs> brilliant. Yeah. It's brilliant. So, so Bill Sidewinder. <laughs> <laughs> Back to Yanderbon or what did we call him? Flash, Flash the Bang. <laughs> Flash the bonds. Uh, <laughs> I, I liked his visual storytelling. I come, he comes from a DOP background and there's a bit, I always pick out one thing or two that, that sort, it sort of tells me that they're holding the audience's hand a little bit. And it was in the prologue where you see the TV and there's a tornado warning and it's just written on the TV in block white text. And that's another example of just if the sound's off or, you know, we're not the smartest audience member, perhaps we can still follow or maybe we're a kid when we watched it. Like, I don't know how old you were, Gally, when you saw it. Guilty? I was, I was 11 years old, Matt. And, you know, that kind of stuff, though, you register it, don't you? Because yeah. you do, as, as you're younger, you learn how to watch movies. So the way that, like, the cinematic language is deployed then helps you. And obviously, I had some good greens, you know, Jurassic Park. Oh, yeah. <laughs> into, into Twister. We could argue about Independence Day. But the one thing Independence <laughs> Day is, is it's not hard to follow. No. You're no. like, yes, I do. A lot more um, exposition in Independence Day, though. I yeah, think. I wanted to do a bit of a comparison with it later on, maybe when we talk about maybe some other disaster films and how how they differ. But before we get off Yander Bond, there's I think there's a fine line between like sort of resenting your audience and giving them too much over explaining and then just holding their hand to guide them. And I feel like he gives you enough. Like maybe it's the John McTiernan school again of just giving the audience enough to understand it. But and not it's, only that, it's a really good um, plot point as well because it's it's Joe's motivation is the warning system. Right. So it does tie into uh, who she becomes anyway. Totally. And interestingly, Matt, uh, uh, that was added so originally in the screenplay, it would be flashbacks, which, you know, the dreaded flashbacks. She would have a oh, breaking it up with several of her. Well, yeah, like Cyborg. Like Cyborg, <laughs> where we do it progressively throughout the film, <laughs> yeah. seeing the same shots yeah. as she opens a seed. Um, <laughs> but no, in this, yeah, I think DeBont was like, we need to, we need a, it needs to be cleaner. The yep. cleanest mm. way to do it is just do a prologue. Also, we don't see the twister. We just hear it. And also we see, bless him, the guy who, from Speed, who's like, Lieutenant, <laughs> he's on the phone. I mean, I, he's great, but he just gets blown away. I was fooled again. I thought it was Chris Cooper again. It's for the second time. It's, it's the second time. It's, it's Dawson's dad from Varsity Blues. Again, every Yanderbond yeah. film, he's going to pop up and trick me. He, he really will. I don't know if he, he's not in the haunting. I doubt he's in the haunting. But, and no one wanted to be in that. We, we've uh, waxed his car a bit, but the more you read up on, on Yan, the more disconcerting it becomes. There's a story of him yeah. knocking over a camera assistant for not capturing a shot properly. 
Um, yeah. And he's got that old school temper and he strikes me as a guy who has a bit of a God complex. I think he's been pushed around a bit and told what to do over the years and eaten by lions and things like that. I was about to say, I think that comes from having half your skull removed yeah. by a lion. But now he's the director and he's the one doing the, the pushing around. He just strikes me like that. He's old school and he, he's... It's it, hardened, isn't he? I, I agree. I was going to I was gonna ask Patrick about this, actually. Um, but just for listeners who, you know, don't know enough about uh, Flash de Bont, uh, he, <laughs> you know, DOP on Die Hard... Uh, kind of Verhoeven regular didn't shoot RoboCop though. Interestingly, I, I do wonder. You know, there's never been a kind of like conclusive kind of interview where they said why they not creatively split. But I, I wonder if Debont had kind of grown out of being a DOP. He wanted to become a director. He'd been a DOP on all these films, and and we all know what it's like. Unless you're the you know some kind of cubbyhole podcast like us, then most people just go DOP. What? Eh? Eh? What are the, what are, yeah, okay, a bit of lighting, whatever. But, you know, it, we, we know that actually super vital role, uh, behind the camera. When we did Basic Instinct, we talked about how technical he was on that and on the commentary in particular, how he was chipping in with all the technical details. He was ready to direct then, you know. It, you know, if your love of Die Hard is purely directed at McTiernan, you know, do not forget that some of those sweeping, beautiful camera setups, they have to be achieved, but also he would have had a, he would have had a say because, you know, there's only so much things you can achieve. Um, so DuPont, you know, clearly a very, very talented man. But Patrick, here's my question. Have you seen this on set where, you know, cause the camera crew just dropped, dropped everything. They walked off the set because they'd had enough of DuPont's, uh, badgering. The DOP got replaced because of quote unquote created differences. They brought in another DOP. And I do wonder, you know, when you make that step up, he know it's a bit like James Cameron. He knows the camera department so well. So I wonder if he, if they got the brunt of his air because, you know, clearly he knows it not better than they do, but as well as they do, therefore will be more critical. I have seen, you know, that there is, they're a head of a department and I look at something like this and I think at that time, the, the integration of VFX and right, physical was quite a new thing really Mm. and you've got to be quite the dop and visualist to to make it work you've got to have a good vfx department around you've got to shoot it and shoot the elements correctly and well in order to integrate it and it's a it's a if you don't it's not going to work and it's going to be more apparent you know like you, you know when you see bad blue or green screen mm-hmm. right yeah you can notice that and i think it's actually becoming quite prevalent today a lot more but this one i think does a really good job of that and i think yander bond could be down to that and and his um technical uh nous mm. really and i have seen ego on set i'm not going to name anyone and i have seen i have had to deal with dops who are director of photographers because Gally said, what's a DOP? Um, or cinematographers who, um, who, uh, <laughs> will lambast me if I get a stand in who has the wrong skin tone or height because they lied about their height and I, I go, who is this? This, this person doesn't work. This is not how I asked for, despite showing the measurements and sizes and saying, does really? this person work for you? You know, and then you have to go and get a really big shoe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I've had, I've had like running that one. way and. <laughs> oh, it's a big Herman monster. <laughs> like. <laughs> um, oh, God. And so I've had 
those kind of things. Right. And I, I had to deal with DOP, like, um, Alan Stewart, I, I've worked with a few times on Aladdin and on Wrath of Man. And he, he was a camera operator on Band of Brothers and he has some great stories. Wow. There, actually. And he's, he's very great to work with and his the communication. And I, I had a very good working relationship with him and just on kind of uh, <laughs> a funny thing, I like, director and cinematographer and i can't remember the cinematographer but on edge of tomorrow doug lyman film that <laughs> every now and then you get on the radio like oh doug's got the camera you're like what and you look and doug's literally got the handheld camera and he'd be going 360 he wouldn't give a fuck what was anywhere and just filming stuff and in the trenches stuff that we did and we hadn't quite prepped for the angles that he was exploring those days and that was quite interesting that um the lighting and the setup and the exposure and the lens and the tone and the, the color and everything, the DOP is all over that. Um, John Matheson, I remember on Robin Hood, him being, you know, the problem solving, like, Oh God, the light, you know, the cloud's gone in. So that means we're enough stopped down and, you know, just quickly working out the maths in order to expose everything and being quite impressed with him and then that way. But as for, sorry, I'm uh, side track, uh, going off on a tangent there, but as for, that kind of proper power play and sacking someone gully. I haven't quite seen that really. That's good to know that it's not so prevalent. I guess you're right though, to touch upon the infancy of the technology as well, because sometimes that can also expose. It's a learning a whole new, but you're you're learning on, you're learning on the job, aren't you? And I think it's one of the reasons why Debon got the haunting and why it probably failed is I think his strength is in, kinetic energy like he's good at the camera moving and the action also moving and the haunting for those of you do not go and see it it's do not go and see it it's definitely not showing it like the prince charles it's rubbish but if you watch it it's a slow like classic horror film everything's slow doors creaking and there's loads of vfx in it and it's ghastly it's terrible it's absolutely ruined his career but i'd call that like a vfx film you know like a vfx led film I don't really feel that Twister is. I think Twister is a more traditional physical film with VFX enhancement. I think the greatest strength from Flash to Bond is the integration of practical and VFX. But we also, we touched upon Jaws being a very locations heavy film and there's practicalities and difficulties working on a location film. And I think Twister does that really well you know it, it's important to uh the midwest oklahoma and the, the setting and the environment and you know in jaws with at the ocean at the uh, amity island is very important to that rather than a clearly studio film with limitations on what they can show really and the expansive background you don't get the helicopter shots in, in the studio you know and, and i think that um that helps scanning that this environment that they're creating but it's also makes it quite difficult I, I, I wanted to give the other side of the cg um because I, I really did like some of this practical stuff like when these were the days when you'd drop a tractor you'd actually just drop a tractor or oh a yeah yeah combine harvester in the middle of a road in in the path of an oncoming car and it was like speed like we i remember patrick you talked about that one stunt in speed where he takes the door off he like hits slams the brakes and then the bus takes the door off and it looked and the car out the way. Yeah, it looked like they didn't quite get the timing exactly right. And and that's why it looked real. And 
the, the more CG creeps in over that stuff, the, the, the less tangible that kind of stuff feels. Like in the beginning of Predator 2, we talked about how those stunts felt very real and dangerous. Um, and I always used to watch that stuff on, on Hollywood's greatest stunts. And that was my sort of in to cinema. I always liked that practical stuff. Um, but there's a, there's a few that, you know, I wasn't as keen on. There was some hokey background stuff. There's one where, where Bill Paxton is standing outside the pig barbecue and he's, he's, he looks like he's completely separate from the background there. And I, when I looked into it, I heard that they had to quadruple their budget for digital sky replacements because they couldn't get any shots to match. So they planned on a lot of it for the, for the, for the sake of the tornadoes, but just getting shots to match, they were graying the sky and, uh, this digital sky replacement became a big, a big deal on the film. Uh, and there was a couple of things with, um, uh, like the integration of the CG, uh, when it hits things and some of the houses are kind of destroyed. It, the one that I really liked was the first one where they're on the dirt road and it just takes out that, uh, farm, just takes out that farmhouse. And that's really, oh, early and on. it's like the circular, yeah. Roof thing that comes across. Right, right. Cool. Uh, yeah. And it take, it destroys that. And I think because they sell that so well, you kind of go with a lot of the other stuff. It becomes a bit of a fun house at the end. The cow doesn't look great. And then at the very end, when she's going left, right, left, and they're, they're dodging and driving through houses, it becomes a bit, it's, it's a bit too heightened. We're going through the house. This, I watched this morning again. We're going through the house. I was like, this is bonkers. Yeah. <laughs> It's great though, isn't it? T- tonally, that, that, that's for me when it becomes Independence Day or it becomes like something like 2012 where Roland Emmerich does all of these <laughs> near misses. Everything like John Cusack in his limo, like everything is just missing it. <laughs> and he, yeah. he does it so many times it becomes ridiculous. We have to breathe, Jesse, we have to breathe! Debris! Right! Look! 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 Nineties is the it's it's like the the apex you know of of the disaster movie. I, I I looked at some of the rankings and I must question certain films being added as disaster movies. Mm-hmm. So for me, Independence Day, I don't class that as a disaster movie. That's a alien invasion. But they do they class it because we're blowing up buildings? Or I guess so. Yeah, and it's it's got the tropes of a disaster movie. You know, a multiple ensemble. Uh, everyone coalescing at the end, you know, I'm back, uh, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't class independence. Day. They also had deep blue sea, which is a creature feature, but no, this, no. these were all going on because we were, there was the absence of like a singular villain. Mm. Um, as I say, uh, Hollywood normally just pinpoints and says, right, terrorists are those guys over there or it's cyber like in the 2000s in the 90s it was weather which is ironic because now with uh you know currently in the uk we're we're facing a bit of a heat wave not quite tornado season um but weather is it's out for revenge again for us so it's going to pickle us uh this week <laughs> <laughs> but even jurassic park you know dinosaurs was the bad 
the not antagonist, but the the thing, the obstacle, rather than yeah, f- faceless Russians I, or. I think it's more about tone, isn't it? It's like uh, in in Dante's Peak, they melt the grandma, and in this one, she just sort of has something fall on her, and then they take her out of the house. They're different grandmas. Dante's Peak's grandma uh, was a bit of a. You know, a bit of a grumpy old sod. Uh, whereas, uh, whereas Aunt Meg is lovely. And actually, the weird thing in Twister is, I don't know what DeBont wants me to feel about Melissa. Uh, so, like, are we supposed to be like, ooh, the other woman? Oh, yeah, and DeBont hates his therapist and has put her in a film. That was the bit. The, th- the fact that she's a sex therapist was like, that's is she not a sex why. therapist, it's right? Therapist, therapist. Is she a sex therapist or a normal therapist? I think, I think she's a sex therapist. therapist. Did I? <laughs> You're exploring the other woman. Aspect. Freudian slip there. Sorry there, listeners. Uh, I-, I thought maybe she was there not to be vilified, but just to um, show that an- a relationship with, with someone quote unquote normal who doesn't like the storm chasing will, will not work for Bill. And-, and he belongs with that group, with that surrogate family. And there's a lot of stuff like uh, Devlin talked about it, how I think it was Terminator 2 and Jurassic Park have been re appraised as these films about family and uh, that's why they they're so enduring and this is another one like phil hoffman is basically a big toddler running around with his tongue oh, out yes. and, and <laughs> she, she's there to <laughs> i love phil he's, he's my favorite so i'm allowed to say that and he, he um yeah she's there there to sort of challenge it but he he can't make that work with her because his his nate it's in his nature to 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 be with with um, Helen Hunt. Yeah, and I guess because he talks about how it feels like it's whirlwind, doesn't it? Like uh, like almost like a rebound. Because uh, she says like getting married already, like God, that was quick. Or we, I don't think we ever get. Don't think we ever get a sense of when they broke up. But but the fact that Bill is wearing double denim at the start and then gets back into storm chasing clobber feels right for his character. Yeah, as far as tone as well. Yeah, I know the grandma needs to be. Um, she needs to redeem herself in, in Dante's Peak, but there's, there's nothing like that here. The, the only bit that felt like those films, like Volcano, which I know you've talked about on, on the podcast in the early days. And, uh, some of those other films of that ilk was when, uh, Carrie Elway's, uh, driver gets skewered with that big girder. I felt like that came out of nowhere. Like, why are you killing him like that? I know he's, he's like, he feels like he could have been one of the stories. If his, actually his biggest crime is he's, he's not as fun as our storm chasers. He's, uh, he's more polite. What, what's Carrie Elway's name? The bad guy in it? Jake, Jake Jonas. 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 He's telling Jonas yeah. to listen to him. He's actually on the yeah. side yeah. Of, of the goodies and he gets skewered for it. I don't know where that comes <laughs> from. Skewered. <laughs> He, he's up for my, um, uh, Rookie of It Is award on this, actually. That's, uh, Zach Grenier. Zach Grenier is, uh, Norton's boss in Fight Club who likes corn, fl- corn flower blue. Oh, right. He beats himself up in front of him. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Another one for me, just while we're on, uh, Rookie of It Is award, that isn't Alan Rook in this. Although um, Alan Rook is in this. Indeed. David Lynch regular, uh, Unibrow man. I don't know the actor's name, which is really bad, but he's Unibrow one of man. Jonas's sidelings, but he, he's barely got a line in it. But if you, if you look out for the Unibrow, it's him. <laughs> but it also oh. has Jeremy Davis from Saving Private Ryan. Corporal well. Upham. Yeah. yeah. I've got him in my list. Yeah. yeah. I've also got, um, Sean Whalen, who is bone from Waterworld and the heckler from that thing you do. Um, 
Thank you, Google, for that one because I was really. This one is full of uh, Roku. It is. Is I've got uh, the receptionist from ER who hangs out with uh, um, Carrie Elways when he's doing Big his. Guy, he has one blows. shot, doesn't he? Yeah, like, and the, he... They, there are two other guys. I thought it was Dutch from Karate Kid. Uh, that one of, one of the, um, uh, the muggers from Robocop, but it wasn't. It, it's Scott Thompson from Police Academy. He plays one of the storm chasers and, uh, he, he's one of the guys that, that shaves his head and he, in, in an attempt to, and acts as like a militaristic cadet and he tries to discredit, um, uh, Mahoney in one of the early, earlier ones. So yeah, and, and there's two more. There's Gregory Spore Leader or Spore Leader, who was Captain Fry in The Rock. We, we call yes. him, um, uh, he's on uh, my list. Phoebe's boyfriend from Friends. <laughs> and, uh, the last one I found was Jake Busey, who is, uh, Ga- Gary Busey's son. He's in one shot in the background. He's one of the evil storm chasers. So there's so many to pick. This movie is stacked. One of the things that, um, it kind of got me thinking is, I'm glad I didn't want to be an actor in the nineties. Like, imagine trying to get in, like you want to just be storm chaser number nine and you're <laughs> up against Al- Alan Rook, who's yeah. uh, who's <laughs> rabbit, isn't it? It's like, Oh, I'd love to be rabbit. Like I've got five lines. Um, and I, I, every now and again, I, I moan about the maps. You're never going to get there. Alan Rook's just gone in. Oh, fuck it. Mm. Okay, fine. And then you're like, well, what about this dusty guy? I mean, I can do a good Jim Carrey impression. <laughs> <laughs> Philip, Philip Seymour Hoffman's just got him. Oh, fuck. Do you guys watch Gavin and Stacey? It's a comedy I like, and they, they, <laughs> the mum, bam, and it's like, it's got, it's that film with Philip Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> There's some trivia here. Uh, there was a scene where Dusty was laughing heartily and leaning back, lifting one of his legs. And, uh, the earliest cut of the film had a brief moment where his genitalia were clearly <laughs> visible and they had to CG it out. Um, <laughs> So that's one of the best pieces of trivia. We're not a trivia pod, but that's got to go in. And and you think about Flash de Bond, you'd think it was a homage to Basic Instinct, wouldn't it? Like, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna recodify <laughs> the Sharon Stone scene with <laughs> Philip Hoffman, Dustin Hoffman, just seductively smoking while he's doing it. <laughs> As he sits on his deck chair and his chode just falls off. <laughs> Surely he's the Ham Neal Award, Hoffman. I think he's, so. He's big in this, isn't he? But he's big, but he's great. He is great in oh, this. Oh, yeah. So, when he's got, there's a moment on Melissa's face, and I think it's when they're in the rain after this sidewinder, and it's a really serious moment on her, like looking in disbelief. And on the edge of frame is Hoffman with his tongue sticking out like, yeah. ah. <laughs> and it's, it's the weirdest. <laughs> he's, he's just on another planet at that point. I have to, like, I'll, I'll give him a bit of a, a car waxing because he's one of my favourites and he's no longer with us, bless him. But that somebody said when he died, I think it was the, the actor David Crumholtz, who's been in quite a lot of stuff. He said that there's pain in every frame. If you watch anything that Philip Seymour Hoffman did, that there's something beneath where he he's he's hurting. And it really rang true with me when I read that. Um, and it's here too, but you really have to dig for it because it's, it's under his grubby, oversized post grunge outfit. <laughs> One of the things that we discussed offline was the surrogate family. And I do think, you know, Dusty is, it's like the big kid, isn't he? He's the, he's the animated kind of, he loves Bill and Joe. And when he sees Bill and Joe together, like he's happier, but so is everyone else. Like that everyone's on tenterhooks and everyone follows their leads. Like it's not just, it's not like a matriarchy or a patriarchy. It's like them as a couple 
they run this family. And I love how everyone kind of falls under that, including Philip Seymour Hoffman. But he is the biggest person on screen, like in his personality. I don't believe it. Who is that handsome devil? Gentlemen. The extreme. It's the extreme. Oh man, don't start that shit. <laughs> oh manly handshake ensues. How you doing, man? I'm doing great, doing great. Oh man. <laughs> Dusty, I'd like you to meet Melissa. Melissa, this is Dusty. Dust man's been chasing with us ever since we started. Listen, man, where's Joe? He's over by Doppler. Broke down again. Out of grant money. Honey, why don't you uh, hang out here for a little while and I'll, I'll be right back. Okay. Uh, Dusty, why don't you explain to Melissa why you are the way you are? <laughs> Come on. Man, Joe's gonna wig when she sees he's back. I'm not back. I found myself watching him in every scene. Like, whatever was going on, I was watching him. And he's got this humor and pathos, even in a quite a shallow role like this. I think he was really gifted and he was probably the best we had when, when we lost him. And, uh, I think to, to see him really happy at the end makes me really happy. And that there's a, there's a bit where we were talking about the kids and the, the, where the house is still standing and there's like a, a, a trail of where the twister has been and Bill Paxton is the dad and, Helen Hunt is the mum and they're all, the kids are kind of, Corporal Upham throws his jacket in the air. You know, it's all kind of like the kids are all playing and Phil's the biggest kid uh, of the bunch as it kind of helicopters away. So yeah, it is a comic relief role, but it's, it's one that's, that's forgivable because it's kind of anchored in, in the story as it, they, yeah, he, he's, he's not too wild. It's, it, you know, it, it, he, his character has a thorough through. It's not, like, oh, this guy is, he was quiet that scene, now he's big. He's just, that's his character. He's quite consistent. And it also as well, you kind of need, like, this isn't normal. Like you say, this isn't normal to chase storms, to do, to want to do this. So it means that we have like, uh, on the, on the scale, Philip sat right at the, at the hard edge. Bill Paxton isn't just like some normal dude. He's the extreme. <laughs> but he's just a little bit more measured in his approach, less less Zeppelin. Mm. I, I thought it was quite funny how Doctor Melissa said that. I thought chasing tornadoes was deep down was just a metaphor. What the funniest line of the film? I, I actually laughed. I laughed out loud because yeah. I was just like, "Well, that is that is again not only skewing her character, but also kind of that's about as deep as it gets for Twister." Like I thought it was a metaphor. <laughs> Later, yeah, critics' corner. Ebert attacks that. I'll save it. Right. He, did, he didn't like that line. That's no, a shame. It, it led to his biggest diss. We discussed a little bit of this on Jaws, and I wondered if you thought maybe this could be the tone could be born from Jaws and Jurassic Park as well. You know, Jurassic Park at the beginning, we get the Velociraptor attack. And this one, 27 years ago, we get a father getting, uh, I was about to say socked off, but I want a different <laughs> tone of phrase. The um, Joe's father gets killed. Thank you. And, remember the tone, you know, Patrick. <laughs> very dark opening, a very kind of eye-catching opening that shows you the severity of what they're facing. And then we cut to them driving and it's pure adventure music from Mancina. It's like real adventure music, really kind of family fair and, did, did you not think that the, the prologue and the raptor attack at the beginning of Jurassic Park were kind of synonymous? And then it sort of, it does a long 
dissolve from the chaos. Yes. Of that yeah. moment. He's going, shoot her, shoot her. And, and then it, it dis- dissolves into something peaceful. It's like a sunset, I think, in, in Twister, perhaps. And, and then, then the, it's the, the, the debris and. Yeah. And then it's the, the, the joyous music comes in. I'm going to do that in favorite scenes because that, I wanted to say something more about that, but that felt very Jurassic Park to me. And when they're in that helicopter, it, it's when, when they're uh, in, there's the joyous music playing and they're in their cars. It feels like the in, in-gen helicopter in Jurassic Park with that music. It, yeah, it feels very similar. I saw the, I saw the parallels and it wasn't just because, uh, of, of my view and experiences in, in 94 and bleeding into the fact that I was going to watch everything. I genuinely do think structurally and the way that it's being executed. And you've got to remember, um, I, I didn't know this, but now I am going to say you've got to remember as if everyone did. But mm. Spielberg is an exec produced on this. Kathleen an Kennedy is, mm. Kathleen Kennedy's producing it. It's an Amblin production with. Yeah. Warner and Universal, is it? It's like yeah, a, Universal. Universal, definitely. This is probably a little bit more kind of family friendly in a way that we don't see. You know, we don't see a lawyer get bitten in half by a T Rex. But as you say, we do see a poor. I mean, it, it did shock me because I thought if anyone's going to get skewered by a metallic boulder thing, it would be Carrie. It would be Joe. It'll be it'll be Jonas. But yeah. he he actually gets a worse death, which is he gets to see himself get blown up and then blown down onto the ground. <laughs> well, he gets to see his consequences of his actions first. With Yeah, um, yeah we don't... We, we do, the only thing that the film doesn't do is it holds back because we don't see a shot in the car as it gets lifted. Because I think if we did that, then that would be, like, me as a kid, oh, I should never drive in a black vehicle. Because <laughs> black is bad, obviously. Uh, it, as far as, like, the colour coding for this, because they're all, like, you know... The, the corporate, and yeah. And it... Because they, and they don't really focus on it, but they talk about there's a couple of lines about funding Jurassic Park again, yeah. uh, where they're like, "Oh, were the trucks broken down? Um, you know, we, we just uh, lost our funding." And then insurance as well. I think there's one line about because they are going through trucks. I mean, if this is just a normal day in the life of Joe, then those trucks, you know, she's never going to get full cover. Uh, <laughs> so, so but but Jonas has gone out and got some corporate spots. Did did um did Bill and Joe strike you as the Alan Grant and Ellie Sattler of the tornado world as well? She's even costumed like it. I know it's white, but it's the vests, isn't it? Yes, I absolutely agree. I heard it was if Spielberg was going to direct it, which I actually think he should have because he did the the Lost World and uh, Amistad in in like the years between I think Schindler's List and what would be Private Ryan, I guess. So I, I feel like he could have done done this in in the gap, and he he would have elevated it. I think like when he was attached to do it, I think it was Laura Dern and Tom Hanks were going to be the two the two leads, which would have been interesting. I'm glad it's not those two though. Let's focus in. Now, on Helen Hunt's on, really good in this. Helen Hunt is great in this. She's really really good in this. And actually, this uh, this movie kind of cements her her like strong run because i remember uh in twister she then i then i remember i mean i don't know what i'm doing watching as good as it gets uh why that it's 12 it's, or 13 oh, oh you're but a bit young no no i was like film. why am i watching it when i'm 13 or yeah something? yeah but I, I loved her in that she's great in that movie i remember in uh pay it forward we don't talk about that one too much because of he who should not be. Uh, well, I've just, I've just kind of dropped <laughs> oh, it. Haley Joel Osment, though, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, he's he's fine. He's fine. Um, and and then she was also in um, 
Oh, what women want with mm-hmm. well, Mel's Mel's okay now, isn't he? Again, I think we can say that Mel's. <laughs> Mel's I, I don't know, okay man. <laughs> Mel and Mel and he doesn't Stacey. look okay. I'm yeah. just going off Twitter, man. I think Mel's okay. Yeah, t- Twitter decides who's guilty and innocent these days. And then I just remember kind of like morphing into mom roles, but like she had a really strong run. Yeah. Like one thing that looking back now and doing a bit of research on the movie is. She's a great example of somebody who actually broke out of a sitcom. Like she'd done loads of television before, and then she'd forged her own cinematic career from a successful sitcom with our mate Burke, Paul Riser. Yeah. Mad about you. Did you you guys ever watch that? I was about to ask what it was, because I had no idea. No, I've never I've seen never it. seen a full episode of it. I I was aware that she was in it with Burke, and I've seen a couple of clips, but and, and I heard her talking about it. Like she she was the general on that one, she said. She was not a showrunner or anything, but she was calling the shots on it. And uh, to, to do to do a film like Twister was really, uh, it really was breaking out, like you said. Meryl Streep did River Wild. And yeah. this felt like Helen Hunt's River Wild. Like mm. she's, an, she's an action star, but she's not like doing things that are completely unbelievable. She's mainly running quite slowly in joggy, in like in baggy trousers. Yeah. But I believe <laughs> that she's like a little bit, not unhinged, but... When she's crawling towards the the twist of the first time, it's a good moment, made. yeah. And you you need that too to to emphasize that she's still trying to get close to the dad that she lost. That's that's what's propelling her the whole time. It's the Spielberg bit of it, isn't it? You can t- I I reckon if it's one inject, it will be from him. It would have been <laughs> make the dad die. Yeah, or ha- have a divorce divorced family, you know that kind of thing. So with, with all of that, then it. One of the most important scenes for me then that would back that up is like seeing your mum and dad argue, you know, at the end of the F3 when they're on the hill and he's like, he's not going to bring your dad back. And, and Melissa hears them on the CB radio. It, I think that's the kind of the, the heavy lifting acting scene and character for between the two of them. Well, and that's the scene where I'm glad we don't have Tom Hanks and Laura Dern. I don't know why, but Twister feels like the perfect vehicle for both Helen Hunt and Bill Paxton. And they get the one, because this is really probably the one scene, right, that they get to actually demonstrate some, you know, as opposed to just charm and charisma and star wattage. This is where you're a, you know, if you were to do a workshop and you were like, uh, we're going to do a scene from Twister. Helen Hunt's been quite subtle up until this point. You know, there's a really nice interchange between her and the other woman, Melissa, when they're buying lemonade. And she says she's still in love with him, and she doesn't. There's a lot about what she doesn't say in yeah, that moment. Yeah, and then she this, deny this it is either. No, but I think I think Paxton's quite, you know, like Paxtony in this film, and <laughs> and and he he's bigger than Helen Hunt in his performance throughout, and and kind of not loud, I wouldn't say, but this is the loudest Hunt is in the film. I feel like they're right for this incarnation of Twister. If it was a Spielberg Twister, I I'm going Tom Hanks and and Laura Dern. I still think because the way the way he would just ground it more, he'd make it more uh, again Spielbergian, whatever you, you you view that as. Yanderbon is a bit more haywire. He's a bit more of a wild card, and and I I think it works the way it is, but it would also work in that alternative universe mm. can i can i throw a counterpoint then i think jurassic park works because for me as a child again i'm thinking i'm putting myself back into child fan of cinema yeah. i don't know who sam neill is at this point i don't right. know who laura dern is i do know what a t-rex is though so i just think this is part and parcel of you know let the twisters i'll be, be the, the star the, 
be the star. Of course, I know Bill Paxton is at this point. It's one of the reasons I said, I didn't say it in the history. One of the reasons why I wanted to see Twister as well was because I was like, Hudson up against wind. You fucking, I'm, I'm there. Well, we said it wasn't a disaster movie, but it is a monster movie. It's the, this, this, you know, you know, in the lot, in uh, the TV show Lost, where they have a smoke monster and it can kind of, it ends up representing, but we don't, when we do find out what it is, it's kind of underwhelming. So here it, it's good that it works as just a, a physical, you know, a thing of nature. But it, it can, again, Critics Corner, Ebert doesn't think there's a lot of, a lot beneath the surface here. There's not a lot of uh, symbolic stuff going on. But I think you can read into things like Twisters and uh, natural disasters and things. And if you put them in the context of a story about family and you, there really is something you can do with it. There are, there are some, some layers to it. But, but to go back to your point, Patrick, I think it's, it's, favorite scene you know it's not i'm not going to go through the twister and say my favorite scene is when there are no twisters and they're just having yeah. their, their own their own battle on a on a hill uh, and it's raining but it is one of those scenes that i remember because uh, i just i i actually i really like the dialogue and i really like the back and forth this isn't fun time now this is like it's getting serious and again for me as a child watching it i'm like oh yeah you're right this is mum and dad arguing and no one likes to see mum and dad argue. Or if they are going to argue, you hope that everything's going to be okay. Help me! What are you doing? Help me! Joe, the pack's wasted! It's over! What is wrong with you? We can still do this! Jesus Christ, listen to yourself! You're obsessed! You've never seen what that thing can do, so don't talk to me about it! You've never seen it! You've never seen it miss this house and miss that house and come after you! Christ, Joe, is that what you think it did? Oh, no. Jesus, Joe, why can't you just forget it? You don't understand, okay? You'll never know. When's it gonna be enough, huh? How close do you have to get? Talk to me! Joe, things go wrong. You can't explain it. You can't predict it. Killing yourself won't bring your dad back. I'm sorry he died, but it was a long time ago gotta move on stop living in the past and look at what you got right in front of you what are you saying me joe it's it's maddening to me that michael Crichton, again the jurassic park links just keep growing and his wife get two and a half million to write this screenplay. Who do you think spent the longest amount of time on the screenplay? John Carpenter <laughs> on Halloween 2 with his six pack of beer or those <laughs> two on, on Twister? I, I reckon Carpenter because it would have, actually no, he probably drinks a six pack quick. It's, it is surface level, but I think it's ineffective. What about you, Patsy? What do you think of that scene? Cause I think, I think Bill and Helen really work well in that, in that moment. Yeah, I, I do. They've certainly got chemistry and I believe the relationship. I believe that they're still in love with each other and you can see the little moments. And I think Bill's charm, ah, oh, Bill's charm, how I miss it. He, it really comes through here. Um, and he, yeah, I, I really like seeing him as a leading man. And I, I didn't mean it as a criticism that he's a bigger performer than Hunter Hunter in this. It's just, he's got that that drawl I spoke about in Titanic that is, it's a sidewinder and it's, and all of that, that I really, really enjoy. And I think he's very good. And the, the film almost hinges on their relationship. It's really important to carry the film and it's their journey. And 
when I was writing the synopsis, you know, I didn't really mention any, many other characters because I found myself just following them. You know, you've got Meg, you've got Jonas and you've got Melissa, who are the, probably the three more important side characters. Well, you know, I, I like Dusty as well, but it's, it's, that scene's kind of noticeable for me because Helen, like I said, Helen Hunt's been quite subtle up to that point and her, this is her, really showing her frustration and i think when you go back you can see she's holding that frustration back and holding on to words and she lets it all out and it's at that um one of my first lessons of filmmaking you know is the plot needs to go the characters need to hit that low part that bottom bit and and this is kind of them hitting that and that they need to climb them out and thereafter and succeed and i think we really hits that point quite effectively there's a little bit when the car falls back and she wants to get out let me out let me out and i, I think the handbrake doesn't go on he puts the handbrake on it all feels quite organic and really well there's some subtle ones too like where um is he doing her belt up in the car is he is he wiring up he, her... let's get your radio on I radio think yeah there's that bit which he kind of brushes his face against her shoulder or something yeah. quite peculiarly uh, and there, there are other little moments of them uh, together where they accidentally touch each other's hands, all the romantic comedy kind of cliches. It's all there, isn't it? All, but all done on the go, which is again, part of, I think, DeBont's strong suit. We saw it in speed as well between Keanu and, and Sandra. And it, in no way am I saying that this is like a comparison, but they, they've got less, they've got less time to do that because in speed, there are quite a few more moments of just like stillness in a way there's lots of you know jeff daniels is off doing a side plot there isn't that in twister there is just we're chasing twisters you know everything's numerical we've got four dorothy's we go through them one by one as they get destroyed there's probably something to be said with the design floor there bill um but you know what i mean like that is it's very very simple but I found it super effective. Like in no way do I want every movie to be like Twister because it's, it's on the hairy edge of kind of being a <laughs> bit too dumb, but it's perfect for what it is, which is I have no idea about wind. This is a perfect gateway <laughs> into wind. Well, just to, I'll come back to the wind, but like the comparison to speed, did you guys notice at the very end that they, the two main characters end up in the same position that at speed they end up. Yeah. There's a little bit is. of water spilling over them and yeah. they're, they're just laying down and it, in each other's arms having just that bit survived. Felt like, um, Temple of Doom as well, like where they actually end up snogging and they're covered in like water from the elephant. <laughs> the elephant and then yeah. the kid, uh, the kid closes his eyes, um, short round like, closes his eyes and here, like, all of the kids, Phil Hoffman, the kids in yeah. quotes, interrupt them again. And that even that, that snog gets ruined at, at the end. And the kid like mummy and daddy are back and the kids all sort of swarm <laughs> around. That's, and then it all, it all cements itself in that final moment with that, that kind of helicopter up and the house. He, he and, does the same structure, doesn't he? They've just yeah. solved the, the, um, the Dorothy going up into the F5. And then, yeah. you know, like in speed, we kill, uh, the, the, with the madman and, the, and then there's another <laughs> obstacle thereafter as the, the twister changes direction. And right. when you think it's over, it's not. I, th I thought like, ah, Flash de Bont is, he knows how to finish a film really. He does. He's got, I mean, there's nothing quite like playing your greatest hits after one song, but I mean, that is, <laughs> that is essentially what he's doing. I, I, just to go back to Bill as well. And I, I didn't mean it in a kind of disingenuous way. Genuinely. 
selling the idea that he is instinct and Jonas is 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 like is a pretender corporate. Like, it's just it it does work like, mm. and I I think you're right, Patrick. I would have loved to have seen more Bill Paxton leading man roles. He, he he's leading man in this. Mighty Joe Young. I don't know if you remember that, but uh, Young Charlie <laughs> Star- Charlie Theron and Bill Paxton's the lead yeah. in that, as well as the ape. What's um, the rainy film you like? Uh, well, simple, simple plan. plan. Some great plan. movie, great movie, great Shakespearean tragedy. Uh, mm. And then uh, also, I, I said it last time. I think every time we talk about Bill Paxton, but one false move. He's the he's the the star above the film in that. But it's a proper independent, small, and he's a sheriff. Mm. Which, but I would have liked to have seen him do more. I just think Tom Hanks would be distracting against the wind. I mean, you know, no, Castaway is okay. Because he's on his own and he's he is big enough to fill that void. When you've got wind, Matt, you don't want Tom Hanks. I, I like Bill too, but I I do think Bill is working at capacity at times. Like I, this is Pete, but this is Pete Paxton. This is, this is Pete Paxton, Apollo this Thirteen. Titanic. Titanic. I resent this Pete idea is. that Tom Hanks couldn't do this. Do you know what I mean? He couldn't play the extreme, Matt. You know this. There's only one extreme. <laughs> the, the, I, I like the way they do those backstories about the extreme. It's all like where he was like naked or what, what was he doing? He was threw, naked a bottle, and he threw a bottle into it and the bottle never hit the ground. <laughs> <laughs> Got to think as well, like the whole our, our analogy about, you know, the, the pseudo, the, the storm chasers being their kids. Well, mm. kids also inflate their parents because the extreme sounds like just a normal bloke to me. Like yeah. there's nothing terribly extreme about him. I like that he's that. That young lad from Terminator. I like that James Cameron sort of took him. And, nice and night for a walk. <laughs> this guy's uh, two two cans short of a six pack. There's all the stuff in Aliens where he's kind of a dummy too, but he's perfect in it. And then I, I love him in Simple Plan too. I that that could be his best role for me, maybe. I do hope we do. Um, True lies at some point because that's where oh, it brings God. the comedy. That's Paxton where he... is unbelievable. He's Ham Neal in that one. He's the he's the ultimate car salesman, literally in uh, in True Lies. But you're right, Matt. I think I think that's probably what maybe he's a he's a, like most of the cast in this. Fantastic character actors, and I think Helen Hunt does does genuinely come out as the star. Like I do believe that. She comes out as the strongest. He is slightly member. second fiddle to to her, and that's yes. what it should be. It feels like her film, though. You know, we, we the prologue through line is is her. Let's talk about something else, right? So the film positions being a weatherman as being a bit boring and a bit dull, but being a storm chaser is kind of rock and roll, right? You know that rock the the the, the first the first chase, the first like let's go out there. You know, are there, are there going to be any dinosaurs on? This dinosaur. <laughs> and it, yeah. it did, it made me, it made me think of, uh, of Jeff Goldblum. They didn't put a leather jacket like, on him. We'll, I'll give him that. No. Where was the origin of the sexy scientist? And I think it's Martin Brundle. We've talked about it. Brundle fly, uh, in the fly. <laughs> Still think it's a species. Yeah. More, moreover, in the nineties, this became a thing. Like, I don't know whether it was just because we were learning more and more about different stuff. Loves scientists. And he mm. loves making them rock and roll. Oh, and Goldblum are, in Independence Day, I suppose. Yes, well. absolutely. You know, when the fat, when the fat lady sings. And, no, no, no. <laughs> I don't know about the fat lady. <laughs> but, but my point is the, these storm chasers, they made chasing 
weather cool again for me this isn't like and i think it is quite a an enticing life the, i don't know where they make any money i don't know thing on, what um, they do for public for like, funding in, in, well, the, in the playlist funding, yeah. this week there's a, a an oprah winfrey episode where the entire cast of not the entire cast but the three three leads of twister go on and they have real storm chasers in the audience and Oprah is kind of going around the room and they're just geeks. These guys are not, they're not rock and roll at all. It's, it's all like, it is Crichton, I think, just trying to movie, movie starize it. Do you think that comes down to Whedon as well? Yes. Some of the, some of the lines for those listeners that aren't aware, um, Joss Whedon was like a, I didn't even like a ghostwriter, like a script doctor on this one. He and punches then, up the scripts. Yeah, punches up the scripts, which he'd also done in Speed, which is where you get, mm. yeah, oh, well, of a madman. <laughs> <laughs> Interactive TV, Jack, wave of the future. You tell that wildcat. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, you can, and you, all of the scripts where eventually you realize that Joss Whedon, it kind of comes to a head in Alien Resurrection when he actually writes it. And then you go, Oh, too much, too much. Can we talk about, um, corporate kiss butts? Hmm. Cause I, Devlin, you know, he, he's not here with us. He was literally sucked up in the prologue of this episode. Um, he did, he did say his one, his one thing he wanted us to talk about was the hypocrisy that lies within the center of the storm of Twister, which is the, the, the idea that Jonas, Dr. Miller and his fleet of incredibly nice, shiny black vehicles and, and horrible gang of geeks, um, sought out corporate sponsorship and Helen Hunt and Bill Paxton are just like in it for the, they're in it for the science. Uh, <laughs> yet this movie has Pepsi Co as its corporate tie in. I never really thought it was egregious, but once you know it and then you can see when he creates the, the lightning bulb moment and it's like Mountain Dew and lots of Pepsi. All you're going to take from that is that. You know, these people are greedy and they're perhaps doing it with ulterior motives. And these two people are, are like the, the Sattler and, and Grant. They're following a passion and they're trying to save lives by giving this, this early warning. So I, I think as a kid, all you're going to take is, is, uh, the very simplistic morality of it and perhaps seeing it as, as you're older you start to see some of these things like the pepsi and some of the car sponsorship uh i mean i can't remember yeah. what car no, it he's was, driving so a dodge, it a dodge yeah dodge okay. but the, the, the pepsi thing gally i hadn't really thought of at all i just it's a mean you know like get me as many uh, aluminum cans as you can just nothing from and... the coca-cola company <laughs> <laughs> I, I, when I was, when I, I remember, I actually distinctly remember this years ago thinking, how did they get so many cans in such a short time that were empty and, or whatever? Dusty's van. <laughs> Dusty collects them like that woman in speed when she's crossing the road. <laughs> cans. It's just cans. Cans. <laughs> did you see the fire? Um, I, I never thought of it as a, I didn't think of it as product placement at all. Yeah, for those of you who didn't know, uh, didn't listen to the drink long because, yeah, I don't know, you gave up after too sensible, <laughs> too sensible. Um, the Oliver Reed one, um, Patrick, if you, if I may, is that is that the one? Is that the one where um, he's on set and I don't know the film, 
but um, a Budweiser truck turns up <laughs> on set. Uh, and, and delivery like, for uh, Mr. Reed. <laughs> delivery for Mr. Oliver Reed. It's like, uh, yeah, he's just over there. But no, one of the ADs, one of the ADs is like, I'll sign for it. God. Yeah, he signs for it. And then during, during, a, during a shot, he just tries to sneak. He says his line and then sneaks it. He doesn't try. <laughs> no, they rehearsed it. They rehearsed it. All right, right. Checks, please. Let's go for a take. Plunk. <laughs> And then, and then he, he made, apparently Mark said he made sure that the logo was facing the camera and that he drank it in the scene and they'd never rehearsed it. And the director, uh, just like shook his head like, for fuck's sake. But then he said, you're going to have to clear that. That's oh, and then like, cut, Oliver. Like, yeah, you're going to have to clear that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, it's a, it, but it's a, it's a, it's a necessity. It's this how, um, you know, one of those vital lines of, of funding. So it's like that, Audi in Minority Report. Yeah, I mean, James Bond films wouldn't be James Bond films without um, some some product. Oh, uh, I didn't mention on the, the Roger Moore one. There's a great one on, in Moonraker where uh, someone on a, um, a stretcher flies into a Marlboro sign and ends up in like the, the, the oh, mouth. Yeah. It's like a cigarette <laughs> cigarette effort. They're, they're really blatant with it around, uh, you know, in the 70s stuff. But as a kid, it, I, I didn't see any of it at all. And if it's done in a subtle way, it doesn't bother me. Back to the Future has a ton of it too. And it never, never bothers me. This one, there's cut up cans. It's not like mm. cans that are whole and being enjoyed. It's a weird, that's why I don't see it as product placement because it's not whole. It's, yeah. Team. Let's do some favorite scenes because we've talked in kind of totality about the effects and some of that and, uh, and whatnot. But, but mm. who, who's going to go first with a favorite scene of Twister? I... It can't be the end credits. That's <laughs> Never allowed to be one. Oh, just on that though, very quickly. Um, do you like the title card? <laughs> oh, the way it kind of blows up in yeah, the like, wind. Blocked. It looks shit. It does. It's not as bad as species. It's it's never- species <laughs> is the worst. But yeah, I don't know what it was about like movies of this era. We said it before. Actually, we do know it's an afterthought, isn't it? No one went, oh, because yeah. I would have made the eye a tornado. It's an open goal there, and they've just gone with like, oh, just blow it away. Or the other one would be the letters are blowing around in the background, and then they they fall, <laughs> and then they oh, and then God. they get pulled just apart. Just after again. we've seen a, a father die, just something playful. Yeah, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. Well, you want it. You, that's how you. That's how you shift the tone properly. Oh, that leads into mine. I, I, apart from anything with Phil doing literally anything with his tongue out, he's an absolute gift. Um, <laughs> apart, apart from Phil, my favorite scene, I'll, I'll try and articulate this, but it's the way the opening, you have like the June 1969 title card and they call it the special world in all the screenwriting literature. Like she's, she ends up chasing the storm that took her dad. Uh, my, my tutor, my tutor used to say, uh, start with a punch and end with a flurry. Dave Taylor, my media studies tutor. So, and, and this film follows that. So, it, it's character in action inherently tied through that prologue and it sets that premise. And as Gally says, sometimes it, it writes the thesis of, of the sets, the thesis of the film. It's not a particularly you know smart one, but it, it does it. And then my favorite thing is how it bleeds into the next scene into present day. Um, and then immediately establishes the tone. It's by, by switching the tone, the dialogue, like she's called Joe, the boss lady sets her up straight away. Um, we talked about that joyous music there and it turns into an adventure score. 
uh, and we're sort of propelled into the next scene. And then we're introduced to Bill and the tone of the movie at, at the same time. We know that it's okay to have fun and relax and have a good time with it. We've just seen a guy like take off <laughs> in, a, in a twister. <laughs> but, but now we're told like literally 30 seconds later that you know, it was necessary to see that, but don't worry, it's not all going to be that way. We talked about on, on Point Break how quickly Catherine Bigelow did it. It's not quite as quick here, but it is more complex because you've got those two things to juggle. So I think he needs need some credit for that. I think, um, Jan de Bont. Well, my favorite shot is a close up of a horse at the end. <laughs> did you guys notice that shot? It's just the horse's face and it's right under the face of this horse and is it comes out of nowhere. No, no, it's just before, I think it's just after Dorothy's successfully gone up and we cut in, they running away to the far, nearby farm and we, as they're approaching, it cuts to just a face of a horse and it's, yeah. Bizarre! It's such a bizarre shot. What is he trying to say? I don't know. I could, it's not the. Is it was it the raccoon in um in Wild Things? <laughs> it's not that, but it's. I, I don't know. Go back and just tell me what you think of that. Uh, my favorite Bill Paxton moment is saving the dog from uh, from the window of the collapsing house. Like, well, the way he carries that dog is just really funny. Well, the 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 teenager in me really enjoys the shining uh, drive-in theater yeah. scene. Yeah, quite iconic that, isn't it? I've been to Universal Studios and they've got like the, I call it a ride. It's more of a, an observation of the special effects and it's really cool. It's really well done. And I don't know. I, I remember when I was a lot younger, really liking the, um, flying hubcaps. I think they are that slices that guy's head yeah. and flies through and yeah. just thinking like it was a really well done and quite tense. Bit. And then again, you know, the, the flash to bond thing of, oh, so everything's sorted now, everything's fine. Oh no, Meg! And they have to go to Meg's, it's something else that's a problem, like this speed thing of, oh no, the track's out, the road's not there, you know, it, it was a constant building. I was, I like that section. In my young mind, I, I always used to attribute motivation to that sliced head because he's, he's the, um, I think he's like the, the kind of the religious one. And obviously, it's a game of storm chasing and storms. And that, to me, feels like the storm is getting one back. It's just getting a jab in. <laughs> storms don't take things personally, Gary. They do. Remember, Joe? <laughs> Remember, she says, doesn't she? You don't know what it's like for it to miss that house. Miss that house. It come for yeah, you. That's very in my too. little In my little brain, yeah. motivation. Sorry, Patrick. Continue. Oh, Patrick, before you, before you go on, the the drive-in scene was, was one of mine too. And I like the way that those characters that we, I'm I'm a big Shining fan anyway, so I'm going to like it, but the way that, uh, it gives a bit of a personality to the, to the tornado. It's like in, in that moment, we're, we're relating back to Jack in that film. And then all work and no play makes a tornado a dangerous. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And then, and then it destroys him. And we've got this idea of him as being this big threat and it sort of takes him down. Yeah. And it's sort of giving a face to the, the monster. Yeah. It works. It's like a horror scene. It's, it's good. And it also has one of my favorite extras in the scene, which, uh, there's a girl and a guy watching the film and there's a scary bit and she can't look and she slowly puts her head into his chest. But, but, but the camera hasn't panned away enough time for her and she comes back and looks again. <laughs> <laughs> I think she was supposed to keep her head buried. Yeah. And it's, it looks really awkward and it's really weird. Um, but then the adult in me does like the, the, uh, confession scene. Um, with the failed Dorothy with the F3 on the hill. Cause it's, I don't know, like powerhouse moment that really gets you 
quite into the characters propelling to to the end. Um, what about you, Gally? Uh, well, for me, it's the it's 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 the family meal. Uh, Megs. Mm. I just, I absolutely love the way that, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman dishes out that gravy with that spoon. He's like, oh, it's like a little food group. But it also <laughs> got me, it got me thinking. It got me thinking because there is something about, it's, it's my favorite scene as well because there's lots of stuff going on. The unspoken. Bill's got his, I mean, he is like six buttons deep on that shirt. There's no need. He's, he's, he's still wet. He hasn't even dried himself properly. <laughs> He is the extreme, though. Just been, um, just been swimming for the Titanic. The bottle never came back. Um, <laughs> but, but I also, I also just like the way that um, the food is shot. There is something I don't know about the '90s in particular. It happened in Hook as well. Like, forget about the imaginary food because that's shite. When they then start looking at real chicken. I'm like, oh, that chicken looks fantastic. <laughs> and then I always remember in Goodfellas when, uh, do you want to go to Uncle Paulie's for dinner? Mm. And then they just fucking huge lasagna. <laughs> so yeah, there's just something about, something about Twister. Have you got your favorites? Cause that is my favorite scene because every time I watched it and then I was immediately hungry. I was like, oh God, I need to. You mentioned in, in, um, in your initial notes, like the, the idea of cinematic food. Um, I think my top one is the giant Oreo cookie in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Oh yeah. Do you remember that one where they're sort of breaking it off and then and they're scooping it out and yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, and well, then doesn't the ant, the ant gets a little bit as well. There, there is a giant ant attack. Um, but you know, it's, it's a giant. Yeah. The ant does get some and then they ride on its back. Uh, Home Alone has a brilliant pizza and the macaroni cheese dinner. That oh, the mac eats. and cheese looks lovely. This is highly nutritious microwave meal. Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, Tarantino is the king of it. I love that big kahuna burger and I love the, the strudel, the, uh, aton de la creme. Oh, uh, yeah. And the, the way the cr- cream is sort of dolloped on top. And, uh, back to Jurassic Park, full circle, when Tim and Lex, <laughs> wait, wait, when, when Tim and Lex have the jelly and the cakes and all that stuff in, in, uh, John Hammond. I feel their hunger in that scene. They've yeah, been, yeah. they've been away from food for about 12 hours. So I mm. absolutely, I'm starving like they are. No, yeah. I, I totally agree. Um, I've got uh, another one as well. You've just reminded me. Catherine Bigelow nails it in Point Break. We never uh, see a close-up of the meatball sauce. But we want one. <laughs> or two. But we want one. Two. Both <laughs> I want both. Utah, give me two. <laughs> Make it two. Yeah, Marks and Spencers in the UK have made an absolute living out of just shooting <laughs> food porn. But it, yeah. it, it was... <laughs> it was cemented in Twister because... Steak in it. How, steak, those eggs, the way that they bleed into the pan. Oh, anyway. The best egg, by the way, is the one that gets fried on the girl's uh, stomach in Hot Shots 2. <laughs> is it Hot Shots 2 or Hot Shots 1? I think it's part two. Yeah. Yeah. Two. No, it's, it's not part two. It's in Hot Shots. Is it? Right. Oh, no, no, or is it? That's one. No, Cause it's like the nine and a half week no. spoof, isn't it? It's, it's one, it's one, but they flash back from part two. Oh, into right. one. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Cause they also flash back when he skims the rock and then hits the canoeist, which is also a great <laughs> gag. So that's favorite scenes. Uh, Matt, as we were blowing past the garage, cause we need to replace a wheel, we need to stop off at critics corner to get a couple of lemonade. <laughs> so what, what was, uh, what was, what was said by big, big Rog? Or also known as Dusty in my household. <laughs> you get your money's worth, Ebert said, and uh, he called the plot between Paxton's new bride and uh, Hunt silly. Uh, and that that was Rog. Um, 
it, it was the the key to establishing that he's meant to be with with Helen Hunt. So I, you know, uh, it's an example of a man trying to move on against his better judgment. Uh, so so yeah, that, that was some of my my thoughts on it. Let me go forward. He attacked the lines uh, when you told me you were a storm chaser. I thought it was just a metaphor. <laughs> he said that there was, there was no metaphor in in Twister at all. Um, looked right down the barrel of the lens at the audience, and uh, you know he, he 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 wasn't keen at all. And then he confusingly seemed to recommend it, but only for the effects and nothing more. Oh, um, Siskel called it a ridiculous story surrounding Twisters. Uh, he thinks they should have taken their time and written a fresh story around the effects. He called it a cornball marriage story. Um, <laughs> he, he didn't like the guys in black cars. He found it too obvious. He, he attacked the idea of villains having corporate sponsors as being hackneyed. Um, yeah, he, again, he, he consistently fails to understand this idea that young people in peril and old people in jeopardy are just devices to articulate heroism for our lead like in aliens he had to go at newt being in in trouble but it was all about the maternal protector here helen hunt has to race to save her aunt uh it is weaker than than what we see in aliens but um you know it, it's a device he, he doesn't really understand in, in in this instance matt it is it is giving them personal stake i'll try and bring it back up for you but because i know devlin is a, is a fan his uh his written piece was more measured but typically joyless uh it, he said Twister has no time to waste on character, situation, dialogue, and nuance. But as spectacle, it's impressive. The tornadoes are big, loud, violent, and awesome. Um, he says that it's too intense for kids. Uh, but say you're over 13 and you want loud, dumb, skillful, escapist entertainment, Twister works. But if you want to think, then you should think twice about seeing it. So... Uh, Big diss from Roger at the end. Just before we get to our final thoughts, and I'm going to hit you with a, a, a pop quiz. Um, there's a, we, we got sisters. Um, right. Oh, Kelly, you almost answered it. Oh, what's your buzzers? Yeah, of course. Food. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yes, I like it, Kelly. It's a twister, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Great, great. We're ready. Now, Gally, you almost answered this one, so let's see if you can do it. Matt, see if you can beat him to it. <clears throat> In which town does Meg live? Food. It's a twister, baby. Gally was there first. <gasps> Wikiti? Oh, food. I'm going to have to accept your first answer, and it is incorrect, Gally. Over to Matt. Wikita. Wakita is the correct answer. Ding, 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 ding. Question two. What scale measures a tornado's intensity? It's a twister, baby. Oh, okay. Go on then, uh, Gally. The F scale? Yeah, but what does F stand for? How the f- oh. They say it in the film. Flow? <laughs> no. Excuse, excuse me, flow? <laughs> <laughs> What's the, what is the soup to show? <laughs> <laughs> Present you a buzzer and have a go. Third. Is it food? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> Fl- fluc- fluctuation? F- so you weren't bad, Gally. It's the Fujita scale. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> In the film, are- it says it's the Fujita scale. She says <laughs> in Gally's favourite scene at dinner, what's an F... Well, like, has anyone seen an F... And they say it's measured on the Fujita scale. And it says uh, how much it is 
based on how much it destroys, how much it eats. Uh, I was I was distracted by the food. Sorry. <laughs> Third final question. The ties are scored one all. Who's going to take it away? What is the name of Jonas's research research device rival to Dorothy? It's a twister, baby. Galley. Is it Dot? You're missing something at the end. <laughs> Is it the dot four? Oh, it's the dot five. Oh. <laughs> Zeroes all round. No points today, but well played. I enjoyed that Thank round. Thank you, Patrick. Patrick, I'll start with you. Final thoughts on uh, Twister and would you recommend it to our listeners? I remember really enjoying it when I was younger all those years ago and I really enjoyed it again this week, twice. Um I can see a lot of problems in it you know it's not perfect and it's some of it's very silly going through the house is absurd and some of the dialogue is kind of hammy and doesn't work um but i'm really into uh hunt and paxton and they uh they carry the film quite well um as well as the film being carried by some really good cinematography and design and action and adventure and it's whether I agree with um, Big Rog uh, as much to say, like, switch off and watch it, it is, yeah, it, it's a very kind of accessible, easy film to watch. But I I don't know whether it's because my heart's in the 90s with this kind of film anyway and Flash de Bont and Speed and Bill Paxton and all of this, but it's I thoroughly enjoyed it this week. I really enjoyed talking about it because... I find it quotable and energetic and I like the way it looks. I'm still, some of it still, it's kind of better than some of the stuff you see now. And, um, it is quite simple and basic. I, but technically I think it just stands up. Um, and I, I do like a physical film on a location and Gally, I think you just said now, like, you'd love to see a, something like Twister come out now. And yeah, why why not? Something completely almost absurd, but done. I, I always felt like the film, that when I watched it the other day and, and this morning, that the film is just unabashed, like gets on with it, like the Fujita scale. There you go, crack on. <laughs> Do we learn anything about wind? Not really, apart from it's just a F1, F2, F3, F4, F5. We're taken on this journey like a board game and the difficulty levels rise up like a video game, perhaps. And it's... It's very entertaining stuff for me. Yeah, you're right. It reminds me a little bit of of, of when we discussed uh, Top Gun and how the the germ of that idea was just an article. You could imagine the germ of this was well. Has there ever been a film about wind? And you just go, well, no. What what kind of weirdos normally talk about wind? Ah, oh, these these people that try and find out more about them by chasing them. That sounds exciting. We can make a movie out of that. <laughs> yeah. It's like the idea of like, well, there's no IP. There's, this is just an idea, and then you put the framework of a basic kind of story that's, okay, it's not particularly deep, but I don't know why. Patrick, you never asked me, but I've decided to um, please do breeze into town with my summary. I think Twister is exactly the film that they intended to make. It was never meant mm. to be anything more than what we got. Obviously, Tom Hanks and Laura Dern would have... Uh, elevated it somewhat as far as their star status. Certainly Tom Hanks, I think. Despite us saying Helen Hunt's brilliant in this. No, 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 I, I'm just meaning at the time. Like I think, um. Okay, okay. But, but I think you do the right thing by casting Bill Paxton and, and, and then someone, uh, an emerging talent because the thing that's going to hook you in when you see the trailer 
or the this this new visual effects wave that's coming in but you also get that integrated practical effects you get the best of both i think there was a sweet spot wasn't there which is the probably the sweet spot that we constantly refer back to which is everything had to be planned everything had to be structured around the get the shit on film it's not like shooting on digital like today so you don't have the luxury of being like okay well if that looks shit well don't worry about it we'll we'll sort it out but you know the old fix it in post that idea doesn't doesn't exist yet because it's really expensive and time consuming you're never gonna get these actors back in a room again but they'll they'll gladly see paint out hoffman's cock (laughs) (laughs) it's it's a kid's film we've got to take that (laughs) patrick there's there's enough there's enough stake in this film already you don't want to you don't want to see that as well uh the old uh frankenbeans of of (laughs) so uh, yeah, for me, I am, I'm talking in, uh, absolutely looking through rose tinted glasses, um, with Twister, but I, I always like to try and attribute an evening. And I'd say this is perfect Friday night. It's been a long week. Do you really, really want to watch something like, do you, do you really want to watch Zodiac? No, you might want to watch Twister. So that's my recommendation. I think you can have fun with it, but you've got to meet the premise. Uh, you know, at its premise. And you've also got to understand that the stars of the show are the Sidewinders, the sisters, the F5. It's coming. It's a twister baby. So that's my, <laughs> that's my, it's, it's a, I'd say it's a mild recommendation because I know that it's not a great movie, but it's great at what it set out to do. That, that fair? Oh, fair? I recommend yeah, well Sorry if oh, I yeah. didn't say that. Yeah. So Matt, I, I leave you to, to finish us off. Ooh. Bad choice of words. Oh. Uh, I think most people have gone down the rabbit hole of YouTube videos and, and of storms and twisters and <laughs> and disasters and destruction because it's terrifying like, through the lens of a phone or a video camera back in the day. So there's this relatability immediately. Uh, like most of us haven't been in the eye of a hurricane or anything, but we we get it. I think you mentioned earlier, Gally, about the idea that it's wind. You, you can somehow relate to it on some level. Um, but it's breezy for a tornado picture. It, it knows when to let loose and have fun and when to kill the lead's father in a harrowing, traumatic, unexpected way. Ebert said there was no metaphor, but if you want to read it, you can find it. Um, I actually saw some beauty in the way Joe and Bill tied themselves onto the pipes and their bodies were just kind of waving like flags in the midst of this thing in the eye of the storm. And the structure around them is disintegrating, but they're still floating together, anchored and hooked in uh, until all the winds subside. Maybe, you know, maybe it was just a desire to read into it. Maybe he didn't want to, but uh, you don't, you don't need to. I mean, you could watch this as an 11 year old, uh, as you did, Gally, and just not read anything other than, than the monster of the tornado. But as an adult, if you go looking for it, you can find enough to keep you, keep you ticking. Um, as the storm clears, they're left with each other. Um, and, and then that family comes out of the storm shelter unharmed and that hooks back into the beginning. Uh, Dorothy's senses were a success and we've got no doubt that they've, they're going to help people in the future to get their storm warnings earlier and save lives potentially. Uh, Helen Hunt has won. She's exercised the demons. Um, 
<laughs> you know, you, um, you can't set me up like that. You have exercised the <laughs> This house <laughs> is clean. Uh, as a caveat, there's a bit of self-congratulatory fist pump America, which I'm, I always sort of, you know, I'm not too keen on, but I don't like that, but it sneaks in, but there's not too much of it. And, but we kind of ask for it by stepping into this zone, into this world for a couple of hours. And whenever I do step into it, I'm always happy to, to do so. I think the effects for the majority of the film are really well integrated. And if you've got a decent setup at home, you, you're probably going to still find it quite immersive. Um, it's certainly a recommendation. I'd agree with, with Galley Friday or a Saturday night. Significant other optional. It's probably not a big gang of mates, beer and pizza. Although it is fun. It, it, it has this sort of slightly mournful tone and it's got the grief that's kind of running through it and a bit of a longing. And it feels like it has kind of a feminine energy at times. Um, I think it puts it into a slightly higher bracket dramatically than, than certain disaster films, but there are flying cows and the tone goes a bit mad towards the conclusion. Um, I think it's quite a safe film and I think you can bring the kids to this one. Um, unless you have a surrogate child like Dusty and then don't, don't bring it. <laughs> Kiss butt. Uh, it, it, but if you're in the mood for this one, if you catch it at the right time, it's an absolute pleasure. If you're in the mood for a giant tornado movie, it it really does everything it needs to do, I think. Well said, Matt. I agree. The best movie about wind ever, I think. Have we seen Take Shelter? Or... No. <laughs> <laughs> Is that better? Is That's the terrific. wind stronger? Well, it's about, you see it and, um, it's about a bit more than wind, isn't it? Take shelter. Yeah. Okay. Interestingly, it's on now TV at the minute and that's how I watched it. But very strangely, it, oh, I'd meant to mark down the points, but I ended up buying it because it was pissing me off and I, I had a problem streaming it last night. It, interestingly on now TV, there's moments that fade to black and then it fades back up as though we're going to a commercial break. And really? like, it's really, really bizarre. And, and obviously that's not part of the edit. So just be wary of that, everyone. That's it for the UK. Well, I should buy it, buy it. Sorry. So, okay. So only on now TV. But unless you want to buy it, you can, you know, I bought it on the, um, on iTunes. Get a cheap DVD on eBay. So listeners, here's my time to be a corporate kiss, but if you enjoy the show, then please like, subscribe, share. Spread the gospel team, okay? We are doing this and we're running out of grant money. Um, so, yes, please do that. That would be wonderful. Also, uh, if you like the show and you would like some of our special merchandise, this is, again, a little bit corporate kiss, but um, <laughs> then head over to Devlin Does Drawing. All these things that I'm saying are in the show notes anyway. So if I say them incorrectly, just follow the link. There, there's a T-Mill store. You can get stickers. Scariest artist, which is Matt's pseudonym. He's got his new postcards, which are looking lovely as well. They are looking lovely. Oh, yeah. That is why he's not with us this weekend, because he's off selling them to the general public. Because he he values money over time. <laughs> which is why, when he does come back to the show, <laughs> me and him are going to have some run-ins, like Joe and Bill on the top of the hill. And that rhymes Okay, we will say our goodbyes then. Before I do, Tom, thank you very much for sending in your request. Really appreciated it. Really enjoyed revisiting Twisted. We would have definitely done it on the show. 
but you gave us a reason to. And I hope, he says, I hope that we did it justice for you. Granted, some tangential segues, but, you know, the Oliver Reed story is great. (laughs) Put that in every episode. Um, Right, we'll say our goodbyes then, too. It's the most out-of-control son-of-a-bitch in the game, saying, stay safe, everyone. It's Gally in Glasgow. Grab your ankles and stick your butt in the air. It's Patrick in London. Loser, move on. It's Matt in South Korea. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll catch you next time on the Rewind Movie Podcast. Against the wind